Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Mastering the Room, brought to you by the Graduate School of Political Management at the George Washington University. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every episode on the show, we'll sit down with some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. They'll give us a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens and offer their tips for how you can not only get in the room, but master it just like they did. New episodes drop every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe to Mastering the Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening app may be. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or review. Just a few seconds of your time can really help us spread the word and reach more listeners just like you. And if you want to learn more about GSPM, feel free to check out our website at www.gspm.gwu.edu. And now, without further ado, here's a brand new episode of Mastering the Room. Hello and welcome to Mastering the Room. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every week we take a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, guided by some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. This week on the show, we're joined by Remington Belford, an alumnus of the Strategic Public Relations Program at GSPM and an up-and-coming communications professional who knows the halls of Congress like the back of his hand. Remington has spent most of his career working on the Hill for representatives like Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee and his current boss, Congresswoman Yvette Clark in a variety of communications and legislative roles. And he also recently served as the communications director for Jackie Gordon's campaign in New York's 2nd Congressional District during the 2020 election. But in addition to his crucial work in Congress and the campaign trail during the day, Remington also uses his talents to benefit a variety of causes and organizations near and dear to his heart, such as the United Negro College Fund and a nonprofit called Black, Gifted, and Whole, where he serves as the vice president of strategic partnerships. He's had a fascinating path so far, and he certainly keeps himself very busy. So we're extremely lucky to have him here with us for a few minutes today. Remington, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor. I'm so excited to to, to be in the room. Well, we're lucky to have you here, um, and we're very very thankful for you taking the time. Uh, If you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that we always start at the same place. Our listeners know this, which is at the beginning. Uh, So let's start there. Where does the story of Remington Belford begin? Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Uh, What were you? What was young Remington like as a kid? Definitely. So um, we'll start. I was born in Houston, Texas, um, and I was born to a very loving family, um, very instilled with like support from day one. Uh, But I will say starting off young, I was like reared to be in medicine. My mom's Mm. a pharmacist. And so um, I was like in accelerated science classes and, you know, really had this family vision of having a, a uh, a clinic where my mom would run the pharmacy and I'd run um, the clinic side. Mm. And so that's really much that shaped a, a large portion of my my childhood and my trajectory as far as it came to studying in undergrad. Um, I attended Prairie View a University and graduated from uh, Texas Southern University where I studied biology and chemistry uh, with the hopes of going to medical school. Mm. Um, and so that that that's pretty much my upbringing. It's pretty pretty much how I <laughs> began, but I definitely want to caveat that I did not go to medical school. Was not the the end goal for me. <laughs> did did you all talk about about politics and current events and what was going on in the news at home when you were growing up? Yeah, definitely. Both of my parents were super involved in politics, and interestingly, they are both on ideological opposite spectrums. My dad is more conservative. Uh, uh, 
capital C, I believe. Um, and mm. my mom is definitely a liberal Democrat. Um, and so I, I identified more with my mo- my mother's politics. But the interesting thing is that the communications and, and conversations that my family would have surrounding different issues, everyone's voice mattered. Everyone's uh, position was, you know, to be held. Even if you were an eight-year-old who didn't understand a certain thing, but had your own opinion, my dad was adamant about, you know, you reading the things for yourself and, you know, forming your own opinion despite, you know, whoever or whatever um, is guiding you to you make an alternative decision. Yeah. Yeah. So you you mentioned, you know, growing up, your path was very much towards uh, pointed towards medicine. You mentioned the advanced science and, and going to, to, to college with a with an eye towards going to medical school. Um, you obviously, like you said, didn't do that. Uh, so what happened to to kind of take you off that path and point you on the one you did actually end up walking, which was towards politics and, and government? Well, I'm going to be completely frank with you. Physics literally kicked my butt. I had never seen a class that like the literature, the, the, the questions all just looked like a foreign language to me. Um, and I wasn't able to negotiate my way out into a, you know, a, a passing grade. So on my transcript, I have a, um, a very uh, glaring letter that I won't say because I'm embarrassed <laughs> of it. Um, but the professor just was one of those people. He was a pragmatist. And he was like, if this is this difficult for you, you should definitely look at a different career trajectory because physics is going to be a, you know, a, a concerted portion of, you know, the, the test that you need to take to the MCAT rather to, that you need to take to get into uh, medical school. And, you know, being, you know, hard headed and, you know, uh, uh, brazen, if you will, I, I, I thought, no, it's just his terrible teaching. Um, and that's <laughs> how it goes, you know. And so I figured I'd retake it, made a huge, huge argument for a different professor, got a different professor and got like one letter grade past it, which was just enough to get me uh, to pass it and, in, 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 you know, f- for school, for my requirements. Um, and then part two came along and I barely, barely scaved by in that. Um, and so I really had to revisit. It really did a, a number on my confidence. Um, in hindsight, um, I think it was just the universe telling me, hey, you know, this may not be the, the trajectory for you. This may be something that, you know, everybody else is wanting for you, but you may not be cut out for that. Um, and so I definitely attribute my, my, my junior and senior year uh, physics professors to guiding me on the path that eventually led me to politics. So you, 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 you find out physics is not for you. Um, so that is not the path. How do you get started on this other path? How did you get, uh, interested in politics? Obviously talked about it growing up. how did you get, how did you figure out that this was a thing that you, A, could do and B, that you wanted to do, um, for a career? Yeah. So I definitely, um, I started in working for a nonprofit, uh, at the intersection of uh, marginalized communities, um, and, you know, federal government assistance. I would work with, um, elderly patients to ensure that they had co-payment assistance and, you know, worked with how the house, local housing authority to ensure that, um, you know, patients who were HIV positive had access to, to housing and, 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 and a myriad of things in that space. And one of the things that sticks out in my head as to the, the direction that led me to take the, the, the plunge, if you will, into politics is there was a, a, a lady and um, she reminded me so much of my grandmother. It was like she was same mannerisms, same colloquialisms, you know, same generation, right? Same type of woman, essentially. 
And um, I was working with her to navigate the marketplace. And after like my extensive training, you know, on the job to, you know, be able to navigate this competently, um, I still was at an impasse, right? And I, I just saw the frustration that was relayed in her sentiment. And she was like, I can't afford this medication, but I need this medication. Mm. And so, uh, as I said, it, it, she reminded me of my grandmother. And so I went to my chief medical officer and, you know, I was flustered and I let her know, like, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. Like it's difficult to me, but can you imagine someone, you know, of her age and, you know, her limited understanding in this space? And she was like, it's very true. That's something that we, we deal with. It's a conundrum, essentially. She said, however, if you want to change health policy, then you need to get involved in politics. This is not the place where you'll change health policy. And so I took that, you know, literally, um, and I started talking around. And like I said earlier, my family's been very involved in politics. And, you know, and um, I, at, at the time, um, my aunt was um, working, volunteering for the local mayoral campaign. Um, and she was like, you know, Mayor Sylvester Turner's campaign, he's going to be great. You should think about doing it. And so I started working, uh, volunteering initially with his team to just help people register to vote. Um, and then I was afforded an opportunity um, through the guise of a mentor who uh, gave me an opportunity to be paid on the campaign to work as a liaison with some of the special interest groups. Um, and one of the days we were uh, out registering people to vote at a church. And um, because I like to consider myself gregarious and I've never heard a no, I couldn't turn into a yes. Um, <laughs> I was trying to reach a number, right? I wanted to, I forgot which the number, what the number was, but I think it was like I wanted to register like 500 voters by the end of like, I think the quarter I was on. And so I was tenacious. And um, I saw this guy, uh, he couldn't have been no more than like 31, uh, ideal African-American guy, af ideal person for, um, you know, registering to vote because as you know, African-American men um, between the ages of, you know, 17 to 40 are the least likely to you know, be involved in their, you know, in, in the electoral process, if you will, and um, less, least likely to vote. And so I was like, look, you, you're, the, you're the target demographic. I need to, you know, get you registered to vote. It'll take just a moment. And he was just like, no, I'm good. You know, no, thank you. I appreciate it, though. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. Um, I can literally have it to you just like in the next like two weeks. All you have to do is give me your name, you know, all of that. And he was just like, no, I'm actually good. And I was like, well, here, tell me, answer this question for me. What color is your voter registration card? And he laughed and kind of like waved it off and walked off. And I was just like, man, like that's going to that could have been something towards my a, a number towards my my, my success. And um, later on, he came back with with my, my then mentor, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" I put my foot in my mouth. Like I, I pressed <laughs> too hard. He's somebody important, you know, and he's probably going to be like, "I was brazen and aggressive," and you know, I'm probably going to end up getting kicked off of this 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 front facing role. And so, turns out he was the uh, intern coordinator for the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation internship. Um, and he was impressed by my tenacity and my overall understanding of the process. Um, and he encouraged me uh, to apply to the up and upcoming um, internship in the fall. And this was, I believe, this was uh, end of August, early September. And so the applications were due mid-September. Um, it was a Hail Mary because I had you know, been working at this you know, nonprofit for about two years now. And um, so you needed to be a recent graduate. Uh, which was about a year right out of you know undergrad, so I was technically outside of the outside of the age demographic. Um, but I something in me said this is where you need to be. Something in me was so excited about the opportunity to go to Washington because you know as as I stated earlier, I really wanted to impact health policy, 
right? And it was just like, to me, it made sense, this natural progression. Like I would work on a local level and then haphazardly run into a guy who is, you know, recruiting for an internship in DC that, you know, will allow me to work on health policy at a federal level during the Obama administration. And so um, I applied and I harangued the people at the Congressional Black Caucus every day, asked them, did they get my application? Asked them, you know, was there anything I could do to make myself more attractive? Um, you know, just just constantly. And uh, finally was accepted um, by the grace of God. And first thing my dad said was, that's great. You're an intern, you know, but how are you going to pay for that? How are you going to go to, you know, D.C. And, 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 you know, one of the most expensive cities in the country and be an intern without any type of income? And I was like, well, dad, fortunate thing about the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation is that they provide housing and then a stipend as well. And so I want to definitely give a special shout out and thank you to the people at the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, because without them, I would not be in D.C. Um, and I think that's that's attributable to the, the dedication they have, because there's a myriad of people who are walking the halls of Capitol Hill, lobbyists um, who are working on behalf of issues they're passionate about and, you know, administration appointees that have all that are all alums of the Congressional Black Caucus internship. So I got um, my internship in Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee's office because I wanted to work on behalf of, you know, my home. Um, and I worked my butt off uh, and I, I worked with some amazing human beings. And that's how I got into politics was through the Congressional Black Caucus internship. So through your your incredible persistence uh, and, you know, a little bit of uh, maybe divine help uh, and being in the right place at the right time and meeting the right person. Uh, it You find your way to Washington, D.C. and you're an intern. Um, and those those first jobs and internships, they often teach us, I think, a, a number of important lessons that help shape our careers and, and that we carry on with us uh, in our professional paths. What was the biggest lesson you learned during those early days on the Hill uh, that's helped you in, in the years since? Well, um, I think the main lesson was that uh, communications is a viable career path. Um, so what like I told you earlier, I, I got into politics with the hopes of you know changing healthcare policy. I remember uh, my legislative director um, allowing me to staff the, um, the hearing uh, with the honorable late great Honorable Elijah Cummings and Congressman Jason Chavitz when they were discussing the um, uh, the, the pr prescription drug pricing, I was captivated. I just was, you know, this was what I came to to the Hill to do, you know. And um, but the thing that that really resonated with me post that was how we were going to get this message out to the constituents that you know elected officials are fighting on behalf of you to you know hold these pharmaceutical companies accountable. And so in the meeting. Um, it was my legislative director and then my communications director. And I will say the communications director, his name is Mike McQuarrie. He was the life of the office. You know, like everybody knew Mike. Uh, he had a nickname, Mayor Mike. Everybody on the Hill knew who he was. Um, and he was just this institution, this, this wealth of knowledge. And I just really enjoyed how he would deduce these complex legislative agendas down to consumable talking points that could be disseminated to targeted demographics, right? So that they can truly understand what was going on. And it was, to, for a lack of a better term, it was masterful, right? And I was immediately attracted to that. I was like, Mike, can you teach me how to do that? Can you teach me how to, you know, to, how to, you know, make sure that people understand what's going on? And so Mike, you know, in, in his infinite wisdom, just told me to start, start doing this. And he laid out what he does regularly, what things he read and 
and you know how he processes things and constantly gave me the opportunity to continually hone my craft and you know building that skill set of communications and the more and more i engrossed myself um, in communications the more and more i knew that that was where my niche was was it gave me that sense of helping that i was hoping for when i was aspiring to be a doctor and it gave me that that sense of front-facing uh community orientation that i that i knew that i wanted to have a part of my career trajectory i knew that i wanted that as a part of my career trajectory and so worked very closely with him over the next year and a half and then he was afforded an opportunity to leave the hill and he you know gave me the kings to the, the keys to the kingdom and I was able to, um, despite not getting the title yet, because my boss is very ad, well, my then boss was very adamant about, you know, everything in due time and due season. And so I, I still, under the guise of being a press secretary and um, 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 legislative aide, um, I was able to marry my two passions and truly cultivate the skill set of, you know, constructing and disseminating narratives on behalf of a member of Congress. So that was a great experience. That's exactly what I learned. Yeah, I think that's I think that's such a fascinating part of of your path so far is you've kind of been on both sides of the fence, I guess you would say, in terms of, you know, both on the legislative policy side and then obviously now more on the on the comm side. And I was wondering, you know, you, you explained really well how you kind of arrived at that. But, you know, how are things different in a congressional office when you're on the, the policy legislative side versus the comp side? Or, or are they different? Does it all just kind of meld together in, in one big process? Well, the thing is, is that the, the, the cultivating of the knowledge is different, right? So you get different things in different spaces, right? So the hearings and the uh, legislative agendas uh, take place at different times outside of the office. And then the, the comms side gets briefed on what's happened, right? So the comms is always, I always say like, we won't, we're not necessarily one step behind, but we're at the mercy of the legislative agenda, right? So like what, whatever the, med, the legislative agenda is, the communications team crafts the narratives and disseminates it in the way in which it's most consumable, right? And so it definitely is different, but based on the offices, one of the things in working in a member office um, on, on the house side is it's a microchasm and you're all a community, you're all a family, right? So everybody wears multiple hats and everybody has to truly understand how their role and their jobs and their responsibilities impacts everyone around you because in order to be truly successful, you have to you know, work as a team, which is one of my guiding principles um, since I've been on the Hill that's really served me well is that teamwork makes the dream work. And I think that's directly attributable to my upbringing in, in uh, Congresswoman Jackson Lee's office. I mean, the legislative team, um, would always ensure that, you know, after their hearings that Mike was in the room and I was in the room um, to understand this is this is what this bill is going to do. This is how it's going to impact our constituents. Um, and we want to make sure that they can you know properly understand how to you know either access resources or, or let them know what's been going on. Um, and they were very adamant and active in that dissemination process and, and keeping uh, an eye on things that you know would be necessary for me to share with the constituents. Um, and then capturing the members' voice as well, and so it, it there are different. They, they, the way that you receive information is different, but based on being in a in a personal office, it, it's it's like I said earlier, it's a microcosm. So you get the information, you bring it in, you you know, you put the ingredients in, and you make the soup essentially. And I think uh, it's around 2017, when I believe you're still working for for Congresswoman Jackson Lee, that you find your way to GW. Is that right? Yes, yes. Um, so one of the things that I was super insecure about is that um, 
I didn't have an advanced degree. And the degree that I did have was not applicable to anything other than like the science and tech um, <laughs> uh, committee. And my boss was on not on that. She was on judiciary and homeland security. Right. Mm. And so I was like, you know, I just was in these rooms with these so eloquently educated individuals who, you know, just made me want to do more and be more. And so around the time of it was, I want to say there was a day of service we were working on. I can't remember exactly which one, but I met this guy um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a huge cultivator of mentors. I, I firmly believe that's directly attributable to my success. Um, and so I met this guy named Javon Hackley, who was alum of GW. Um, and he fastly became a close friend, a confidant, and a mentor. Um, and when I was letting him know, I, I remember one hearing, um, and I just like felt like I couldn't contribute at all. Like there were so many ideas that were being put forward, and I just felt like I was catching up. And I felt like my writing was subpar, and I just felt like I needed something to still me, something to like, um, you know, in my mind, amplify my skill sets. And so I went to dinner with ha with Javon, I call him Hackley, um, and he said, well, why don't you think about the strategic public relations program at GW? I'm an alum of it. It is directly attributable to my success. It's, you know, the Larry is one of the best people there. Um, they'll make sure that you go through an entire rigorous program. And when you come out, you'll, you won't have that insecurity about, you know, uh, your accolades because you'll have the most competitive strategic public relations degree in the nation. And so um, I put together my application because I'm not a test taker, right? Mm -hmm. So the GRE was definitely not an option for me. I would have bombed it. I know me. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I, because of my uh, physics experience, I didn't have the most competitive GPA. And so uh, I worked closely with Hackley to, um, to, 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 to cultivate some of my strongest writing samples. And um, I talked to my then boss, Congresswoman Jackson Lee, let her know that one, my, my, my responsibilities would not be... Um, um, sides that, you know, put to, put to side, put to the side. Um, and, but I really needed to do this. And she wrote me a letter of recommendation. So then I met with Larry and, um, while I was, I didn't have the strongest package, Larry saw something in me, um, and gave me the opportunity to be a part of, you know, this, this dynamic institution. And I'm forever grateful to everybody who led me that way. Um, because I, I wouldn't be sitting here in this role if it wasn't for the GSPM program. So what was your GSPM experience like? You, you, you make it in, uh, you, you even despite all of your own, uh, you know, self-consciousness, you, you do make it in. They obviously you, you obviously were, were quite good enough uh, you, they, they, that, to, to get into the program. What was the experience like once you got there? What did you enjoy most about it? Uh, did you have a, a favorite class or a favorite thing that you that you really got to dig on, dig in on once you uh, once you got there? Well, I'm going to tell you, I learned so much um, and I have multiple favorite classes, but I think the most transformative class for me uh, was Leslie Lopez's um, uh, uh, writing for advanced writing for communications professionals. Um, I remember seeing my writing grow. Now, while it was a very difficult class, uh, Leslie had this rule um, where if you have you turn in something with a typo, you have up to like two typos and then it's it's null and void, right? Mm. Um, and that was prior to midterms. After midterms, you know, if you had a typo in that, your 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 lesson or, or your 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 assignment became an F, right? And so she taught us through that that like high degree of requirement how to be detail oriented. 
And in that, she also gave us the mechanisms that, you know, were utilized as a comms director because she was uh, formerly the communications director for the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, right? Mm. And so she knew exactly what that type of writing looked for and what it called for. And I, and I can honestly say that, like, she and that class really helped shape my ability to write in the realm of politics. I also want to say the uh, ethics class with Cecilia Pruitt was amazing because um, I met so many different people who had contrasting opinions from mine, but they were good people. And I, I think um, it's been exacerbated lately, but prior to that, um, you just were thought, you were told that, you know, people on the other side of the aisle were, you know, less than appealing, right? Mm -hmm. And despite my dad being conservative, it was a different degree of conservatism that, you know, you meet here in DC. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I literally was working with some people who have, you know, opposite, you know, uh, occupy opposite ends of the ideological spectrum who became friends, um, who's, you know, truly made me understand some of their positions. And I believe I helped them to understand some of mine. Um, and, and the ethics foundation in that, right, that I, tr that I garnered from that truly guides me to this day. Um, there are certain things that I just will not abide or certain things I will not allow myself to be a part of because of, you know, that firm foundation, that sure footing, that, that ethics class. I mean, and then made, uh, Dr. Brooks and multicultural marketing. I mean, just that literally was one of the most transformative spaces I've ever been in. And so um, I, there is a myriad, um, D Julius Hobson in, in lobbying. Like when I, I tell you, like that was the most difficult class I took, <laughs> the most difficult. Like I thought it was going to be, you know, how to schmooze and, you know, like uh, be a lobbyist. Right. Like, but he really taught us the foundation of the legislative process. Right. Mm. And how to advance, um, support or oppose, um, legislative measures, right? And that was something that I now can see is why I, you know, am able to attribute, you know, having a, a legislative portfolio in each one of my roles. Um, that's something I just, I won't allow to, to go out, no matter how small or how insignificant it may be to anyone. Like for me, it's always important for me to manage a legislative portfolio because that is, you know, part of what I feel like is my contribution to the office is that what little legislative chops I have um, and, and honed skills I honed in uh, Professor Hobson's class, I, I'd never want to lose them um, while I'm honing my, my communication skills. So it was, when I tell you it was the most transformative experience um, and um, the most formative experience I've had um, to date. Now, you're still working on the Hill um, during the day while you're attending the program. And I know you promised uh, Congresswoman Jackson Lee that, that your schooling would not detract from your your responsibilities uh, at your day job, but I'm sure, as as most of our interviews have told us, your schooling was actually, I'm sure, adding to your ability to uh, do a great job uh, in Congresswoman Jackson Lee's office. So, how were you able to to take what you were learning at night at GSPM, and obviously with detail for us, you were you were learning quite a lot, um, and apply that in real time to your day job uh, working for Congresswoman uh, Jackson Lee. Let's be very clear. I, I, I did exactly that. Right. So I would have press releases that, you know, Leslie was saying we'd have to write a certain number of press releases. My boss then was adamant about having a press release about just about everything. Right. <laughs> and so there was literally a, an opportunity to, like, use my work as deliverables for my class. Right. And then um, in our I believe it was um, media relations class, uh, my nonprofit 
um, we were working on our first electronic press kit. And I was able to utilize the skills that I've you know, built with um, my professor, Matt Laszlo, um, to create our electronic press kit, which turned out to be, you know, my, my, my final as well as, you know, uh, the foundation for every electronic press kit that I've, you know, that my organization has put out. Um, many people have contacted us about, you know, that method and, and about the, the structure and the trajectory and how successful it was. Um, and so I, I, those are the two things that really resonate. Uh, it, it wasn't like just doing work that wasn't applicable, right? It wasn't just this like theory based, um, you know, trajectory. It was truly practice based. It was truly like, how do you see, where do you see yourself in the future and how do we help you to do that? Right. And I think the flexibility in the, in the curriculum that allows you to, to build your own um, skill set and hone your skill sets that you have interest in and that you, you know, will, that will help you professionally was why I think this program was the most attractive to me. Um, and, and remains to be very attractive. And I recommend it to, to every young person I can think of because, you know, on the Hill, they tell you, you got to go to law school. You go to law school and you can become a chief of staff. You go to law school, you can be an LD. And I think that the main thing is, is that the thing that you get from law school is the ability to think as a lawyer, uh, the ability to write as a lawyer, and the ability to read legislation. The, the, the Graduate School of Political Management teaches you all of that without having to go to law school. You know, and you're able to do this while you're maintaining your professional, your, 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 your career. And, and you meet some of the most dynamic people who are in your cohort and the alumni network is just priceless. And so it just it, it truly is a beacon of hope for people who, like me, have no aspirations to go to law school, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but truly want to be better. Um, and, and, I, and I believe that it's very important that people know that this program is not just, you know, this like lackadaisical approach to like churning out alums. They truly nurture you. They truly build you towards the career trajectory that you're that you're aspiring to do. And they and, and the professors still remain in contact. I still talk to Matt Laszlo very regularly. Like he's a, a a reporter on Capitol Hill, right? I, and I've pitched him on a couple of things. And so it, it was. I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. You worked with uh, Representative Jackson Lee's office for for several years until until pretty recently. Um, and that's a that's a long time in one office. And you kind of worked your way up within the office, eventually becoming a legislative assistant and then a communications director. Um, and there, there are different approaches that folks have to, to getting ahead on the Hill. Some folks hop offices and change jobs pretty frequently, while while others decide to kind of stick with one office and, and move up the ladder there from within. You obviously you know did the ladder. Uh, of those two, why why did you decide to to take that path, and and what were you able to learn from that experience with uh, Congresswoman Jackson Lee's office that you might not have been able to learn had you taken a different path? Well, I'm going to be frank with you. Congresswoman Jackson Lee is a um, a unique individual on Capitol Hill. Um, she does not mince words. Uh, she has a high capacity um, and expects all of her staff to have a high capacity. It takes, in my opinion, a unique person to be able to keep up with the pace and the standard that's set in her office. Um, and so for me, it, I looked at it as whenever people be like, oh, you work for Congresswoman Jackson Lee? I'd be like, yeah, I do. Now, granted, it wasn't always, you know, rainbows and sunshine, but the things that I learned in there, the, the ability to like, to handle immense pressure and to um, focus on the constituents and the issues and not to be assuaded or, or, or distracted by, you know, auxiliary things um, was truly something that was important to me. And not just 
um, the member, but the team that I worked for, like Lily Coney and, and Glenn Rushing and, 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 and Gregory Berry and Robin Chan and, and Mike McCurry and all these people who truly poured into me. Like it wasn't just I was getting, you know, um, the Hill experience just by being there. It was that these people who had cultivated this immense knowledge, right, were so willing to pour into me and build me into what they, you know, believed to be a success for me in this role that I really didn't want to leave it, right? Um, however, in those spaces, you do have to, you do face that, you know, um, that old um, that old saying that the ones who helped you hatch are the last ones who want to see you fly, you know? So I think they always viewed me as the, as the eager to learn intern. And so I ultimately had to you know, spread my wings and, and go and go to different, you know, horizons, visit different, you know, venues to ensure that I, you know, am maximizing on my career trajectory. But I think the main thing that I learned and cultivated in that office during that time was an appreciation for loyalty. Hmm. In August uh, of last year, August 2020, you actually do take a brief break from the Hill to go work on a campaign, uh, as I mentioned at the top, for Jackie Gordon, who was running for Congress in New York, um, and you were her communications director. What motivated you to get back out on the campaign trail? And, and, and how did your time doing that, even though it, it may have been relatively brief, help you grow and stretch in different ways than the work you'd been doing in Congress? Well, so this particular campaign was one of the most contentious red to blue, uh, red to blue races, right? Um, and the way it was presented to me by, again, mentors who, like I said, can are directly attributable to my successes. Um, one of my, my my mentors told me like this would be a great opportunity for you to hone your your, your skill sets. You'll be in a senior role, um, and if you don't mind, you know, um, if you don't mind relocating, this would be a great you know stepping stool for you. And if she wins, you know, it'll be a great position to get you right back on the hill. Um, and so I took that blind leap of faith, despite my parents, you know, saying this is not you know guaranteed after this certain amount of time and and what if she loses? And, and ultimately, she did lose. However, that experience did something for my confidence um, that um, I think was a culmination of everything that I had, you know, had worked towards. Um, it was putting applicable skills that I learned at GSPM and then also the skills that I didn't know I had um, because I looked to the tutelage and guidance of other people instead of trusting my own validity and my own uh, volition, if you will. Um, and so being on that team, they were so supportive of, you know, my ideas and, 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 and frankly surprised by some of the things that I would, you know, put together in ways in which I would handle situations. And so it did so much for my confidence to say, I, I'm, I have this advanced degree. I have years of cultivated experience on Capitol Hill. I'm deserving of these types of accolades. Right. And so not only did it do a number for my confidence, it also allowed me to live in Brooklyn. You know, like I, mm. I what, what Texan doesn't want to like, you know, live in Brooklyn for a couple months. Right. And, and work in Long Island and just get to see a whole nother side of the country. And so that was definitely some of the things I learned. And, and, and it was a great experience. You're now back on the Hill. Uh, having recently joined uh, Congresswoman Yvette, Yvette Clark's uh, office as her communications director. What's it like uh, to be back on the Hill, but in, in a different office? You obviously spent a lot of time uh, in Congresswoman Jackson Lee's office. You're now in a different office. And what are you most hopeful about as you start this next chapter of your career uh, with Congresswoman Clark? Well, I'll say it is completely different. Uh, Congresswoman Clark takes a completely different uh, um, approach uh, to how she manages our staff. 
Um, it is one of the most supportive places I've ever been. Um, and the, the team is just excellent. When I tell you like our, our former chief of staff, Charlene Stansberry, and our current uh, chief, uh, acting chief of staff, Christopher Cox, and, um, and our LD director, David Dorfman, were truly just like in the brief time that I spent with them, poured so much into me. Um, and then Congresswoman Clark has truly allowed me to spread my wings and, you know, assist in the dissemination of and the crafting and the dissemination of the message of, you know, her priorities for the second, I mean, the ninth congressional district. And um, I think for, for, for me, uh, my goals are, are truly just to, to, to be able to, to continue to be a, a contributing member to this to this team and um, to stay as long as as long as you know I'm supposed to and then to be open to whatever you know um, opportunities arise but right now I'm super excited about being a part of their team and uh, a part of the Clark team and um, looking forward to the future now like I mentioned at the top in addition to your work during the day in, in Congress you're you're also extremely active uh, with other causes and, and organizations that are close to your heart one of those uh, which I think you you mentioned uh, in our conversation as well is is black gifted and whole a nonprofit organization where you're the, the vice president of strategic partnerships can you tell our listeners a, a little bit about the mission and the work of, of black gifted and whole and and why your work there uh, is so meaningful for you Definitely. So Black Gifted and Whole is a scholarship foundation um, for Black queer men who are in the pursuit of higher educations and the freedoms that accompany it. And why this is so important to me is because um, from a, a young age, it was education was the optimal route to success, right? You needed an education to liberate yourself from things that could potentially hold you back. Um, and there are so many niched organizations that um, truly support a myriad of, you know, communities. However, when I looked into scholarships and, 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 you know, specific aid dedicated to black queer men and supporting black queer men, um, I, I saw very few, right. Um, and being at this intersection of, of identities, it truly was incumbent on me to be a part of something to help the next generation because I was afforded so many opportunities. And so I, I came into contact with, uh, the founder, uh, Guy Anthony, um, who you know just kind of saw something in me as well, and said, you know, hey, if you ever want to be a part of Black Gifted and Whole, there's always a space for you. So um, I, I joined the team, and we worked together to cultivate, you know, our, our platforms and our and our resources. And to date, we've given away more than seventy. We've um, awarded more than seventy-five thousand dollars in scholarships to over twenty students who are at you know varying levels from high school seniors all the way to PhD students. Our current cohort um, is um, consisting of four graduate students who two of them are pursuing PhDs. One is pursuing an executive master's program, and one just graduated with a master's in political communications. And I'm so proud to say that he's pursuing um, a, a career on the Hill. And so I can't you know give you the insights on that, but he will be back on the Hill as well. I mean, so it's just been such a sense of pride um, and, and a labor of love to work on behalf of, you know, I like to call the babies, right? The, mm -hmm. the young ones <laughs> remind me of me um, and look to you for guidance and to be able to, to su support them, not only financially, but emotionally and to provide them with the guidance that I received is, is truly one of the most um, I, I, one of the most transformative and, and, and experience, transformative and proud experiences I've ever had. 
That's fantastic. That sounds like a fantastic organization doing really important uh, and incredible work. So thank you for doing that. We also offer merchandise. So if you guys want to, you know, contribute to the organization, uh, Black Gifted and Whole, just blackgiftedandwhole.org, you can purchase the hoodie and proceeds go 100% to the uh, scholarship foundation. Fantastic. Trust in institutions uh, is at an all-time low, uh, particularly among young people. And this goes kind of across all types of institutions, government, media, business, uh, folks just are, are incredibly distrustful these days. What advice would you give to a young person? I think you've given a lot of advice, it sounds like, through Black Gifted and Whole to a lot of young people on A, why they should even bother to get involved in any of this, and B, how, if they do decide to get involved in it, how can they find their own voice or their own way through which they can contribute to and, and participate in our democracy? Um, I think the first thing is just to like dive right in because I think our democracy is one of the most innovative and, and, and transformative and, and multiple parts working in, you know, synchronicity, right? It's, it's a, a masterful thing to behold, right? It's involved in everything. Like, and I, anytime I have conversations with some people who are, um, you know, um, who are opposed to politics, um, I always tell them, like, based on the conversation I have with them, you can identify any aspect that you're passionate about. There's a role for it in politics, right? And and I think that in our aversion to trusting in institutions, people are very uh, problem oriented, right? This is the problem. This mm -hmm. is this issue. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. And, and in contrast, I'm very solution oriented, right? So if there is a problem, I want to look to fix it. If it's something I don't agree with. I want to work with the people who can change it. Um, I've always been guided in that space, right? That That's how I ended up with the Congressional Black Caucus internship was because I don't believe in sitting in negativity and sitting in a, a problem. I believe in being solution oriented. And so that's the way in which I impart any wisdom that I have to you know people who may have an aversion to politics or people who may not know anything about politics or people who may think politics is not for them is to let them know that like from the local level, I was able to be able to to navigate to up to the federal level based on a singular issue in my mind, right? Um, and that's something that that it's a rabbit hole that's undeniable. You can look at it and study it, and whatever things you're passionate about, politics will play a role. Yeah, I think it's just uh, to to piggyback off of what I said a bit earlier. It's really just to immerse yourself um, and, and to listen to the tutelage um, or be guided by the tutelage of of leaders in the space. Um, I always say that mentors are directly attributed, attributed to my success um, or their, their, their contributions to me are directly attributed to my success. And learning from them was truly the way in which I built my foundation. Um, and then once I felt confident in my, my foundation, I was able to offer opinions and uh, positions and solutions um, that were, you know, um, that were built in that fortification of my foundation. And so, and enabled to trust myself because I knew the things that I had learned, the skills I had cultivated, the work that I had done truly made me or prepared me for, you know, whatever problem I was looking to address. And so I think that the main thing I would tell anyone is just to allow yourself time. Um, don't rush anything, um, but to be open to whatever the universe puts in front of you. I read an amazing book um, called The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, and it's been a guiding principle in my life, you know, just being open to, you know, what the universe has available to you and making informed decisions that fit you the best. 
And um, another book I read that I always tell people is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, and the, 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 the point that really resonates in my mind is to begin with the end in mind. If you know where you want to go, it's easier to map your way back. And it's easy to, you know, to drop the breadcrumbs along the way so that you can carry someone with you. Um, but those those are the main things I would just say is just give yourself time uh, and, and, and know where you want to go. And if you don't know where you want to go, just just handle it bit by bit. The universe will reveal everything to you eventually. Last question. There are a lot of opinions about what makes for a successful career. In your experience, what have you found to be the most important? Is it what you know or is it who you know or is it some combination of both? It's definitely a bit of both, um, but I'm a firm believer that teamwork truly does make the dream work. I think that if you want to go somewhere quickly, you can go by yourself. But, you, but if you want to go far, you go with a team. And I think that that's something that is what has led to my success is that I've been fortunate to be in community with some amazing individuals who you know, imparted wisdom, who lifted as they climbed and who supported me as, you know, I climbed and and and, and helped me to continue to uh, lift as I climbed. So I think it definitely because let's be clear, Capitol Hill, D.C., it's definitely who you know, um, but it also is definitely what you know. And it also is definitely who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's something that is is not discussed regularly is being authentic to yourself um, and to occupying the spaces that you are comfortable in um, and doing what, you know, means um, something to you. I think that's been one of the things that I've been successful in is because I'm able to, you know, be this gregarious, consummately positive person on Capitol Hill um, that, you know, people have taken a liking to me and that liking has, you know, allowed them, allowed me the opportunity to learn from them. Um, and so being authentically myself has truly been a, a, a mechanism for success as well. So I want to add that. So not just who you know, not just what you know, but who you are. Wise words from a wise person. Remington Belford, thank you so much for for taking the time out of your day and all the, the great work that you're doing uh, to chat with us and chat with our audience. I know I learned a lot. I'm sure our audience did as well. So so thanks so much for for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. I, like I told you earlier, this is a dream come true. When you are, you know, a first semester GSPMer, uh, you 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 hear the the podcast about being in the room, and I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to be in the room. Thank you so much. <laughs>